So how how are we starting this? Are we having a cold open where we talk about just stuff? How about that Elon Musk? Eh? <laughs> we talk about I, Neil Gaiman I, abandoning I was, his wife. Yeah, I was it's gonna funny. say it's so funny to me that the day after we posted that podcast, yeah. or no, recorded it, everything started coming out about Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer. <laughs> we laid of, it was the laid of heaven as they often go on and about yeah. on Trash Future. The thing is, by the time this comes out, it's going to be so old news. Like, everyone is going to be so tired of hearing about them. I don't know if I will ever tire of it. I will never tire of it. He updated his um, Goodreads and claimed that he was hacked. Yeah. I guess maybe. I think that's a very weird way to hack someone. (laughs) You'd probably... Like, if I was going to try and embarrass Neil Gaiman... um, by shading his ex-wife, I wouldn't do it through Goodreads. I'd probably mm. do it on Twitter. Or I, I mean, sure, but like else. if you had like the imagination and foresight to do it on Goodreads, <laughs> it'd be much better. And it was. Is he? He's claiming that he was hacked. Is he? Yes, he's. He hasn't. He hasn't used it for years. Yeah, he hasn't used it. Like the the last thing he logged before that was like January twenty nineteen. I still I think that's a lie. I think he did it. I think it's suspicious. I think he was drunk and he was like, this would be kind of funny. <laughs> and then he did it. And now he's trying to backtrack. People were I mean, really I, trying to be charitable I about it. They were it's like, not, it's not impossible that he was hacked. Because he's like a 60 year old dude. I could totally see him <laughs> reuse some passwords or setting like a, an easily hackable password on Goodreads. Yeah. I think I remember just, people were saying like, oh, maybe he didn't po- mean to post it. It was like an automatic update from Kindle or whatever, but they don't automatically yeah. update. You have to yeah. deliberately do it. Can you imagine if they did? I don't think it would have been like the first time he read a book on Kindle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Like, I would the, hate I, it if Kindle automatically showed what yeah, we were absolutely. reading. Imagine all of like the Velociraptor porn that would, people would be accidentally posting to their <laughs> to their Goodreads. Don't shame Velociraptor porn; it's fine. I, I'm not shaming, but a Good. lot of people are ashamed of their, their Velociraptor yeah. king. I, I'm just shaming people who use Goodreads in general. Oh, I use Goodreads <laughs> all the time. Uh, it's like it's insane. It's an insane place. I only use it to, like, make people see that I read a lot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't post reviews because I can't form cohesive thoughts anymore. Not to to steal the bit from the Shrieking Shack podcast, but, like, they they make fun of it all the time, how uh, Hamlet has, like, 3.2 on Goodreads. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. I don't. I wouldn't ever go off. It tends to be like young adult readers, you know, yeah. people who read yeah. like young adult fiction, and they tend to like rate things really highly. Or um, I, or I, uh, book people, if you know what I mean. My my friend Callum from Toodles and the Hectic Pity. I think I don't know if he does anymore, but he used to use Goodreads a lot. Uh, but he did a English literature and philosophy degree, so that's probably why. Yeah, they might tell enough. you to in those cases. I don't think so. I think he just. <laughs> He, he, I mean, he works. He works in like bookshops and stuff. It's it's kind of his his field. I think it's fair enough. Yeah. I'd never use it myself. 
I know book people. It's it's really funny seeing people I went to school with who I have on Goodreads for some reason. And they're all like, I'm a massive book person. And the only books they ever upload onto it are like the same eight young adult, like sort of romance kidnapping fiction. (laughs) (laughs) So specifically kidnapping. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just saying that, but I also haven't read uh, anything else besides A Song of Ice and Fire and uh, Discworld now in the last two years. So, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, sometimes it's hard to like sit down. I tend to read, I have a lot of academic stuff that I'm supposed to be reading. So whenever I read anything that isn't those, I feel incredibly guilty and then I just don't read anything. (laughs) Yeah, and you wouldn't upload your... Like, you wouldn't log fucking Michel Foucault Discipline and Punish on Goodreads. I would. I mean, you might. (laughs) Again, I want people to think I'm smart. Putting Ursula Le Guin's translation of the Tao Te Ching on there, just so people know that I'm reading it. (laughs) Discipline and Punish has 4.2 out of 5 stars on Goodreads, so it's... Pretty charitable. That's about as high as you can get. What yeah. is God's God's on Goodreads? What's the rating? Hmm. Uh, wait, I'm just, I, I'm just looking at Foucault reviews now. I I have <laughs> logged that I'm reading God's God's on That's here, good. so it's, this is easy to get There's to. One person who has like a monkey as a, uh, as an avatar named Darwin ate you. And they posted in their review just a picture of an eye, but I think it's the eye from like one of the people on Avatar because it's also blue. And there's just zero one zero zero one zero, like a lot of ones and zeros over it. Mm-hmm. So it's very deep and it really makes you think, I think. Guards, I, Guards I, has a 4.33 average rating. That's only right. It also so has like questions. Too high. <laughs> Orientalism some... by Edward Said only has 4.09. Oh. What is 12 Rules for Life? The only truly... I do like Goodreads because on there is an incredibly great um, review of Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind, which is one of my least favourite books ever written. Oh, it's so bad. And, and there's a reviewer who's given it one star, but dropped from two stars because they were so physically angry when they think about it. And um, that's me as well, so... Reads for giving me that connection to someone else just in my hatred of that book that was like the point where I uh, realized that maybe fantasy isn't good (laughs) unless it's Terry Pratchett so if you sorry if you go down the God's Guard page on Goodreads it's got like questions from people who um, use Goodreads and have questions about the book and there's just one of them that's like i have tried to read this book because my friends say it's wonderful but i can't stand it i know it i know it's more about comedy than fantasy but i don't find it funny either maybe i need a little more explanation otherwise i don't see why i should dedicate more time to reading this can someone help and the top answer is if you do not feel like reading it do not read it You know, Please explain to me how to enjoy a book. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I do not personally like something. Make me like this. <laughs> and people being like, this is my first Pratchett book. Will I enjoy it? And everyone's like, 
Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know who you are. I don't know so. you. <laughs> Such a wonderful website. I think that's like a very underrated uh, thing that more people should be aware of. If that is that, it's totally fine to not finish a book if you don't like it, and you don't need to tell everyone about the experience. Yeah. Every time someone brings up the goldfinch, my dad goes on like a half hour <laughs> rant about how boring he found it, which I'm like, yeah, I know. But you also tell the story every time somebody mentions it. There's a, um, there is multiple books which I've stopped reading like three chapters before the end because I just decided I was done. <laughs> and I think that's fine. I'm looking at the one star reviews for God, God's Guards. Emma Joseph says it took eight months to read 25% of this book. My boyfriend okay. loves these books, as in stitches reading them. I really tried, but just not my thing. How do you take eight months to read <laughs> 80 pages of Terry Pratchett? That's like 10 pages a month. It's not, like, hard to read. Just, just, I think they, should, they probably should have just stopped reading it. Garth Wad Up uh, rates it one star and says, struggling to start this book, opening chapter reads like a year's on drugs. <laughs> Anything creative is just an LSD trip. Am I right, fellas? I know. <laughs> this is a bit weird, just like drugs. Wow, you'd have to be on you'd have to be on some pretty heavy drugs in order to invent things. <laughs> you'd have to be on drugs to think about dragons. What dragons? That's crazy. They aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you review a book if you've only read twenty-five pages? Another Discworld novel, which once again features one of the more familiar characters of the Discworld, Samuel Vimes. Mm -hmm. Sam Vimes. Uh, he most decidedly doesn't save the world. What he does do is give the world time to save itself, which is very much more of a, a Discworld way of doing things. Sam Vimes is not gifted with a huge intellect. It's absolutely right for Sam Vimes. Trolls and dwarves and vampires. Discworld way of doing things. Vimes finds himself in the same circumstances. And I really trust you. I've trusted you up till now. Discworld way of doing things. Hello and welcome to Who Watches the Watch, a podcast that is about rereading Terry Pratchett's The Watch series from the Discworld wider series, and then comparing that with the Watch TV series made by BBC America. I'm your host, Charlotte. I'm your host, Lucy. I'm also your host, Janos. And I'm your host, George. So many hosts on this one. <laughs> like four whole hosts. Some might say not enough. We need more hosts. I mean, it's not a song of babies and puppies, which will just expand to encompass the entirety of Pigot Discord. Yeah. Um, and make everyone host, which is good, in my opinion. It's How the are only we... valid way to podcast. I think so. How are we all today? Are we good? <laughs> yeah. Coping. <laughs> I'm okay. okay. We've had like a super bad rainstorm here, and now it's uh, now it's sunny again, and I think it's gonna it's rain all day tomorrow. It's really dark here. 
Um, yeah. And it's been raining, which is unusual for Wales. It's kind of muggy. It is muggy. I went for a run earlier. Mm. I was sweating. But um, but I made yogurt and it actually came out properly for once, and it's very good. Oh, nice. Mm. <laughs> this oh, yeah. only took me three times. <laughs> 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 Every third time, lucky. I feel cool having yogurt, being lucky. Do you know the trick now, or is it just going to be up to luck every time? Um, I think it was just don't use milk that's gone off. <laughs> <laughs> you might think that's an obvious thing to do. You know, it's going off anyway, but it's just going off in the right way. Uh, hmm. You need to this, stop this the yog- bad going wrong. And this is a yogurt podcast now. <laughs> this is yogurt cast. Does anyone else have any fermented dairy products they've been uh, they've been they've been making? No, not specifically dairy products. No. Hmm. I don't have um, any fermented products going on right now. <laughs> oh. I mean, I've been making um, more wheat paste to do book repairs, um, which is kind of also similar in that it's food product and it's gross, but. It's not hey, really yogurt's fermented. great. Yogurt is suspicious to me. I don't like thick liquids. It makes me uncomfortable. Thick Love liquids. a good yogurt. <laughs> I'll have it in like chili, I guess. Okay, let's talk um, about God's gods. This week we are. This week we have read the first hundred pages of the book God's Gods by Terry Pratchett. No, sir, because we do not recognize the existence of the royal family on this podcast. Um. <laughs> What should we talk about? How did people find the first hundred pages? Oh, I, I really liked them. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I think I'd forgotten good. I'd forgotten how fun it is to read in general, but also yeah. specifically to read Terry Pratchett. It is just a very fun time, which sometimes I think you want from a book, because other books obviously have other purposes where you read them and you're like oh this is a good story or whatever but i do feel a lot of fun whenever i'm reading it i think yeah Yeah. it is fun like i mean even just the way it starts because obviously you have um the elucidated brethren meeting you have all those like fun exchanges in the doorway i really like that the way it starts like like the author was on drugs (laughs) (laughs) comedy just like you're on drugs (laughs) exactly I do. I do think it's a it's a great start to the book. Like I, I think he always does this in a way that like the first like two or three pages are just like setting the mood, and yeah. it's like uh, very vague. You see, we meet like Vimes for a very short passage, but he doesn't really get to do anything yet. He's yeah, just he's just like sad and drunk. Yeah, uh, and then we yeah. meet the librarian also just for a bit but we don't really know what's up we just know that something's gonna be up and then like the first real scene is this meeting of the elucidated brethren of whatever i don't remember brethren of the ebon knight thank Mm. you and i don't even have it in front of me oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) don't sharing which is i yeah i can't help it um it's very it's, it is good, and I love the secret society and the idea that there is just a bunch of secret societies to the point where they get confused and end up in the wrong place and end up in the wrong secret societies because there's so many of them. There's yeah. so many of them, and they like <laughs> just so probably many. use similar passwords or something. 
Well, yeah. exactly. He gets halfway through the passwords yeah. until until I realise that the caged whale knows nothing of the mighty deeps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, oh, it's the uh, it's not the elucidated brethren. It's the uh, it's the illuminated and ancient brethren of E. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think like, the scene is like I, I guess we can just talk about this scene for a bit before we get to like the we get to meet the watch uh, because it really like sets up the whole. Um, ideology i guess of this book yeah it's a sort of petty resentment as a, a power that can destroy civilizations like yeah the sort of very low grade uh sort of small-minded pettiness as as a hugely destructive force in society which you know, it's 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 nice in a fantasy book where it's that that's being used. It's not great in ancient magics, although it is kind of. But they're not really. That's not really what it is. The, the magic ancient is, magic's activated by being annoyed at your landlord. Yeah. Yes, which is valid. Yeah. <laughs> which is valid. <laughs> it is no, valid. I like I like the thing about it. How the supreme grandmaster like clearly uh, has a different perp has a different. Uh, plan than everybody else like he he's just trying to like trick them into into this whole thing like he super looks down on them and he says how uh, you know the other secret societies have the smart people but I'm getting the stupid ones because they're easy to control mm. yes. uh, and I think I think the book really presents these like all these brothers like brother doorkeeper and Watchtower and what's their names? Yeah, Brother Fingers. Brother Fingers. Brother Dunnykin. Yeah. He never even got his three dollars back. They really present them exactly. as super lovable and uh, and like kind of valid. Like the, yeah. the criticism they have because because <laughs> they say, well, you know, we have the patrician and we're not oppressed anymore, but I still have to p- pay rent and that sucks. And my cousin has a big fancy car, and I I think that isn't fair that they get to show off with their uh, big fancy carriage, and I don't have it. And I think I think that's like, you know, basically, uh, not to say the word society, but that's like <laughs> basically the society Uh-oh. we live in. <laughs> we live in a society. We do live in a society. There is um something very funny about the pettiness of them because in the book of essays, um. Terry Pratchett says he likes Australians because they're basically English because they have the same like small-minded pettiness and idea that someone somewhere is getting it better than they are. Yeah. <laughs> um, which reminded me of this. So I think these are just like English people. It's a very it's a very British um, British sense sense of sort of innate resentment of other people. Yeah. Sort of antisocial antisocial yeah, the, thing that is weaponized the by those with power to. Which is very true. It's the sort of people who will like go and knock on their neighbor's door if their neighbors aren't clapping for the NHS at eight pm. <laughs> <laughs> is that real? Um, yep. Yes. Jesus. It's ev- like if if there's a house that hasn't come out onto the street for the clap, people. No, I haven't seen anybody going up to doors, but people definitely eye the house. Like, okay, what's your excuse? Have you have you been going out, Lucy? Um, I well, yeah. My my mum's a nurse, and she's quite oh. interested in it. And 
like she likes it. So going out with her. that clip of Prince Charles and his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like going outside and clapping for the first time in their lives. <laughs> yeah, they're normally the clappies, not the clappers. Yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, this is what this is what normal people do. <laughs> Prince like... Charles is a spectacularly vacant man, though. He, yeah. he came to my school when I was a kid because it's built on Duchy of Cornwall land. Um, we were all done up in our rugby kit. And he went, oh, and what lesson are you in? <laughs> <laughs> Maths, sir. He's completely switched off. It's just sort of doing, going through the motions. They're just, they're empty. They're, they're not even, they're not allowed to be people. They're, no, they're it sounds heads. like hell. I mean, I don't have that much sympathy. Brain, but... Really? Yeah. Obviously, also, they have immense power and influence. I'm looking at the book and I really like this passage where it's, uh, I get oppressed all the time, said Brother Doorkeeper. Master Critchley, where I work, he oppresses me morning, noon and night, shouting at me and everything. And the woman in the vegetable shop, she oppresses me all the time. I, I love how these two things are like conflated with each other. Like on the one hand, um, you know, capitalism, like uh, having a boss, which sucks. On yeah. the other hand, the woman in the vegetable shop. It's so relatable is the thing. I mean, obviously, again, it is that, like, he's not necessarily saying that the small-minded pettiness is good. And it isn't, but it is so easy to just find myself agreeing with these guys. Because yeah. like, I think about, oh, yeah, my boss sucks, but also the customers I serve suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> only only the, my peers are valid. <laughs> like When you work in the service industry, it's like everyone at every level is disgusting to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I, li- I, I I like how this uh how the scene leads into basically what's gonna be the plot of the book. Uh, cause, cause yeah, it's it starts with like okay, it's it, it sets up basically the tone first of these uh you know and the comedy of it, and then they lead into the thing about how uh well if there were a king, everything would be good. <laughs> Which yeah. makes no sense, but you know that this is how people think. Yes, yeah, hundred percent. It's it's weaponizing people's resentment to enact social change. Yeah, and um, it's like if, it's like in the... this in this vague way, vein of uh, nostalgia towards a thing that never existed. you don't know how it is. Like you you weren't alive when there was a king in Ankh-Morpork. So yeah. you're gonna idealize the shit out of it. Yeah, it's make <laughs> it's make mm. Ankh-Morpork great again. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, it yeah. is a bit yeah. like um, impulse towards fascism in a bit. Really, it's that sort of glorified past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except they're sort of saying, oh well, instead of like in the real world where we would use this resentment and direct it towards kicking immigrants out of the country we're going to use this resentment and summon dragons so that a king can come up and i can control him yeah exactly even even their their some of their resentments are justified but it's turned like what what the result of them is is a complete non secateur yeah that's that's how i feel about a lot of like even you know, people who uh, who turn to, you know, following QAnon or like <laughs> align themselves with the Nazis, that they have resentment that is very real. 
that comes from a real place and that from a real place of injustice. They just direct it at the wrong people in the end and yeah. they uh, put their hopes in the wrong causes. Yeah. It's because they're like being used by uh, people who uh, who see their opportunity to control, uh, you know, poor people or people who are wronged. Like the brothers in this, are, like there's the scene later on where they're about to deal with some of the magic and uh, I can't remember which one of them is, but he's like, do we get to say secret chants and stuff? Because that's like why he wanted to join. And it's, yeah. it sort of comes across as this wanting a sense of community. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, like, related to that, there's also, like, a lot of um, takedowns or uh, reflections of, like, genre cliches. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it, it's really Terry Pratchett at his best. He can, he can write something which is very funny. It's funny dialogue and funny sort of conceits. Um, it's satirical of the genre and also, at the same time, has sort of societal implications like yeah, wider wider politics within it i think i think yeah i think this is like what's what's most appealing to me about terry pratchett's writing and like especially this world writing in that um it's gonna present a world where there's fantastical things are happening like there's dragons there's like magic is real the gods are real uh fucking the world is flat and on the top of four elephants on the top of a turtle you know <laughs> but the way the people behave in that is like is so much more like how normal people behave in a way that i very rarely see of especially like high fantasy stuff well it's the dialogue as well isn't it it's like yeah. having a sort of horrible it's very python-esque um <laughs> the dialogue yes. It's very much like, oh, what's going on here? What what are you talking about? I've got that three dollars <laughs> that I need back, and that sort of stuff. Where it's yeah. like everyone. There's talking. Brother Dunnekin who gets really upset that uh, he's shut down for saying he might as well have the blood of kings because he has, he comes from <laughs> humble origins. Exactly, you know, kings got to come from humble origins. Like that's the thing, because even even though they're trying to summon dragons to summon a king at the same time, they're all saying, "Well, I could be a king if I want. What does blood have? I could have royal blood." As if that, you know, as if it means anything. They're so close to getting it. Yeah, <laughs> is the thing. Yeah, it's definitely that whole King Arthur thing, isn't it? Playing off, um, off the king comes when the country needs him, then he's got to be legitimate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can but also like the Lord of the Rings thing, right? Fine. Yeah. Go with Aragorn and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes me like, in retrospect, I think uh, reading Terry Pratchett has kind of ruined my enjoyment of uh, very classical fantasy stories. Well, he really yeah. he does really like Lord of the Rings. Um, he just doesn't like stuff that came after Lord of the Rings that tried to be Lord yeah. of the Rings. Yeah, Which is most I, of it. I, I like Lord of the Rings, but I think I like it more the less I think about it. Yeah, I like its, yeah. I like its aesthetics and its sort of poetic. Yeah, yeah, I like the language. It's, uh, it's, it's written, in, and I like how, I like how Tolkien is a big nerd who just wanted to put in uh, poems and songs and come up with a fake language. Yeah, he just I like wanted... that part about it. I don't like the 
uh, how many like cliches he put into it that are very easily mapped onto ethnic minorities. Yeah, yeah the dwarves. I mean, the orcs, most of all. It's like Easterlings. Oh, yes, the, the orcs and the Easterlings. Yeah. The, the, the dwarves have sort of anti-Semitic tropes in them as well. Good um, stuff. Is there anything else we need to talk about in this scene? Because um, there's some more we can get to. I think I think a lot of the sort of the dressing up, they're, they're doing it, they're doing it oh, yeah. for sick reasons a lot of it. It's like a club after school. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I think a lot of uh, a lot of sort of far right groups are very similar. Like yeah. a lot of the attraction of the Ku Klux Klan sort of people is is uh, they dress up with their friends and they, <laughs> they don't necessarily they don't really have to think about it all that much. Yeah. I feel a little uh, uncomfortable though with the comparison because I you know, there's these people don't do as bad th- like nearly as bad things. So I, I I'm like yeah. okay. <laughs> I, I feel in in this case it's charming how much they enjoy the dress up and in the case of the clan yes. it's not <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's like those photos that were out recently showing uh, anti-lockdown protesters in a sandwich shop and they had fake guns with them some of the guns were real but one of them was carrying like a fake 50 cal machine gun the other one had what was probably a poster tube made to look like an anti-tank rocket or, or an anti-air missile or something and then it's LARPing. Yeah. It's LARPing, which is completely harmless. Like, people should be allowed to go and do... People should go and do airsoft and stuff, but they can't... The conflation of the two things together is is dangerous of actual political and in sort of power intent. Yeah, that's the thing. It's sort of LARP. It's very common. It's... Yeah, it's also, like, in the the whole QAnon thing. Like, I get... I get the appeal of... Uh, wanting to decode messages or like the the idea the appeal of there being like someone who has inside sources and is gonna predict when Hillary is gonna get taken down I just don't like it when it goes into like how much then it gets into anti-semitism and all that shit but I totally appeal like I totally get why they why there's like an action movie element to it I guess or a Da Vinci Code element there's these really ordinary people and they think they're really ordinary and boring and they have these like drudgery lives but they can be like oh but people don't know that secretly i have this secret society that i go to where i'm special and important which is the whole thing Mm -hmm. is that they all just want to be important and do these things and feel special in some sort of way which is very easily Ah. taken advantage of it's kind of like masons i suppose yeah, exactly. It's very similar to the Masons. It's yeah. that sort of thing. That seems fairly harmless. It sort of networking and mild corruption. Well, look at it. <laughs> I can't tell. Did us. I tell you when I was at I was at Oxford Pride and they had a um, Mason stand there? Yeah. <laughs> I thought the Masons were homophobic, like structurally. I have no idea, but it was very funny that it was there. <laughs> That's like having I. I don't know if I'm right. It just sounds like if somebody set up like a Mormon gay. Stand. I don't think you're you're not allowed in if you're a woman. I don't think. Oh, uh, you have yeah, this. There's, there's lady. Probably be a gay man. Oh, is there? There, there's like div, like versions of the same thing which are for women. They're, they're associated yeah, right. with. Uh, <laughs> Finally, a cult for me. It had like those um, 
uh, banners, you know, like the shiny ones that had like lists of all the people who were Freemasons. Like <laughs> it was like Albert Einstein or fucking Benjamin Franklin. I just sure. thought it was very funny. This like shitty advertisements yeah. for the Freemasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the Masons really get uh, get that to them that the, that they have been going on for like literally centuries. So you can you can LARP as someone who who is you know kindred with Benjamin Franklin or whoever. Yeah, it's like if I join the same group as Albert Einstein, that makes me just yeah. like Albert Einstein, a very smart man. Yeah, important by association. Yeah. Yeah. So the sort of authority you can appeal to as part of your identity. Yeah. I was gonna say as we move on, Lucy, this is your first time meeting Vimes. What what's your what's your impressions? What, when he's like of the whole bit we read? Um Yeah. I, I like him. He's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I mean I think he's very charming. Um I think he's also he's very sad, I think is the thing. So I've I've not he's really met him sober. This, this is like the main thing. Like he's so clearly relying on um alcohol to cope. And I feel like I really feel for him though. Like when he's talking about oh I would well, I guess the narrator is, but his experience of um wanting to advance and, and do make the world better but he can't stop opening his mouth and saying the wrong thing to the wrong people because he finds what they're doing unjust and i think that's very understandable like he's a he's a good character basically i like him yeah how do you what's your impression of like the rest of the watch um because <laughs> i think you've met yeah, you've met I'm... all of them, right? Like, all yeah. of the ones that are in this book, at least. Uh, you've um, met Vimes, Carrot, uh, Nobby, Noddy. and Colin. I think... They're all very funny. I like, um... I really like Carrot, and I don't know if it's just because he's really tall, but I really like Carrot. He's a no, sweet Carrot boy. Was... <laughs> Carrot's great. He's a sweet little baby boy. <laughs> um, he's also... He's only, he like, is. 16, isn't he, in this book? Yeah. It's good. The book has taught me the value of wearing protection. Yeah. You've got weather protective. Yeah. Let's actually <laughs> talk about that scene because I think that's a great scene where he uh where his parents tell him that he's not a dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's so confused. He's like, I do find it difficult to get through the mines and not hit my head on the ceiling, but I thought that just happened to everyone at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he's it's because he's um he's romantically pursuing Minty the dwarf and they really really don't want him to like get with her so they're sending him away and she keeps avoiding him and her parents hate him. Yes, <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> she's only sixty though. <laughs> exactly, she's love... too young. Do you think he's? Do you think he's just really ugly as a dwarf? Yes, I mean, probably. He probably doesn't, he, have, he doesn't a beard. have a beard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I really like, sorry, there's just this one line in it where, um, oh, well, a couple lines, but it's like, uh, his father took a deep breath. You're human, he said. Um, what, like Mr. Varnashi, one of the big people? You're six foot six, <laughs> lad. He's only five foot. Just this idea of Car- seeing Mr. Varnashi, who's smaller than him, as one of the big people is so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's yeah. interesting, though, because a lot of fantasy is very sort of, 
there's a lot of discourse about it in Dungeons and Dragons at the moment, I think. A lot of seeing sort of how it reinforces uh, race as a sort of innate genetic mm-hmm. biological thing. Um, I think it's interesting how Carrot is like, he, Carrot is really, really very much a dwarf, especially in how he thinks and acts. It's yeah. just he isn't physically one. Uh, you know, his, his literalness and his honesty is like innate and bred into him because of his environment. I think I think that's a interesting like contrast with other other sort of genre fic like genre fiction not fiction no fantasy fa- fantasy genre stuff pieces of media yeah what well, like stories where people are in in his exact situation and feel like they don't fit in and they they can't adapt to these customs because of their biology when in reality that isn't the case like adoptive children take on the characteristics that they're raised in it's not you know i yeah yeah no i think i think you're right there is this whole idea of like racial traits again um it is it's always presented as like a cultural thing in this world it's like this is just how mm. it is yeah. because of the cultures they're raised in there's this whole thing of, um i can't remember does the first hundred pages have the bit where they go to the dwarf bar. Yes, it yes. does. I love that. Because <laughs> there's this whole thing about how dwarves, when they go to the big city, they all go a bit mad because they've never been like let loose before and they all get drunk all the time and start fighting each other. Yeah, yeah and they all suddenly they start dressing like people and, and naming themselves like people expect dwarves to be named. Yeah, it starts yeah. singing about gold, which they <laughs> never do at all. <laughs> I really liked uh, that because yeah, that's, that's in some of the older books as well. I think that's in, um, is it? It's not. It's Mort or Pyramids. I think where they go into a dwarf bar, and that's yeah. that's the same things happening. It's definitely yeah. like a motif that comes back. Yes. Uh, I like yeah. I like how in the how in the scene where like Carrot gets sent away to join the watch. I. I, I like how we get like the contrast between the way uh, they think the city watch is and like the way Carrot is gonna think it is when he arrives there and what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. Um, not to bring Game of Thrones into this again, <laughs> but it's like yeah, it's like the wall. <laughs> Maybe I have not read them. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's that sort of thing where you expect it to be really honourable and like cool, and then you get there and it's just a bit shit and it's in decline. Yeah. Um, Except this is like much more in decline than the wall is in. Yeah. Yeah, it's worse. Because um, it's like he gets the um, list of laws from Mister Vanashi, and then that's sort of similar to the whole looking backwards thing because it's from a time before Lord Veterinary where they had different laws and the mm. city worked differently and they had a functioning watch and so that's what he expects it to be once he gets there but it's not like Oof. that at all <laughs> when they when they had laws they don't yeah. really yeah laws <laughs> and i don't know how to how we're supposed to even feel about that cuz some of the some of the arrests that uh, carrot does like in this first in these first 100 pages i like comical 
Yeah, you know? like trying to arrest the barkeep of the mended drum for operating without an al- alcohol license. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> trying to arrest Lord Veterinary for having like a slightly damaged coach wheel. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. I tries to like clamp his chariot. <laughs> so I don't know if that means like laws are good or it's it's better the way it is right now. It's presented pretty neutrally, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it is like sit putting someone who doesn't know the books very well, doesn't know Discworld, and like putting them in the city and sort of seeing how they would react to things in some ways. Yes, but also Carrot is like he's a classic sort of that trope of uh, someone who is literal to a fault. Yeah, Yeah, absolute naivety. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's not exactly naivety. He gets he definitely he's definitely incredibly naive in Guards Guards, but in later books he does he becomes like less naive. And it becomes apparent that he's actually like pretty intelligent and kind of weaponizes his his people seeing him as him as a fish out of water and very naive. Yeah. I mean I think but, already in this book, like that scene with the dwarf bar is honestly like already shows his big strength when he <laughs> He manages to, like, make them cry because he tells <laughs> them that when was the last time you called your mom or, like, wrote your mom a letter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like, dwarves shouldn't fight. Dwarves should be friends and should be peaceful and not drink. And he shames them all with his just complete, like, respect for the dwarven way of life yeah. and his understanding of it. I think he's, like, much more charismatic than he himself notices. Yeah, oh, yeah for sure. Yes, that's... Well, I I don't know how much to say now because yeah, don't spoil it. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I think like that scene already like shows that. Yes, he is. Uh, you know, he's uniquely gifted with sort of charisma and strength and and honesty and a sense of duty. Yeah, it's sweet. I like him a lot. <laughs> I like um him doing the rounds with um. I'm gonna say Noddy, and that's wrong. <laughs> it's um, Nobby. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Nobby Nobs. Nobby, Nobby Nobs. Like going on rounds together, and Nobby's like clearly trying to break into people's houses. <laughs> and he's just so like. Like, I think he. I, yeah, maybe naive is the wrong word. I think he just wants to see the best in people, and he ex- and he's come in with all these expectations. Um, But I just. I really like how well intentioned he is, and it yeah. it's really nice having that contrast with Nobby and it's yeah it's that's sweet. that those scenes are very funny how they play off each other, yeah Nobby the sort of scrotiest dirtiest little man in the world yeah. kick, anyone oh, who's like down scrotum. on the floor he kicks them in the balls uh, yeah and will but... try and steal anything and constantly suggests that they murder people and they're knocked out yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no one seems to take him very seriously. It's weird. <laughs> I like um him asking what Carrot had done to end up in the watch, um, and like asking, like, getting girls into trouble and clearly meaning like getting them pregnant. And Carrot's just like, oh yeah, every night. He's <laughs> 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 always getting Minty into trouble. <laughs> very cute. Yeah, ten well, out of ten. Well, the whole like. But dwarves don't talk about sex because they're embarrassed about it. So it's the whole thing of him ending up at Mrs. Hart, Mrs. Palm's um, board house 
uh, lady of the night home, um, not really knowing what it is and just asking for like somewhere to sleep, and they give him one because he's so good at sorting out travel and he's just so well-meaning. Carrot supports sex workers. As far as he can tell, he doesn't seem to really realise that it's uh, it's what what it is. <laughs> yeah, because people keep commenting on it like, "Oh, you're staying there every night." <laughs> he's like, yes. <laughs> and he, he says, um, the, uh, the, the, the girl he rescued, um, she, she woke him up a couple of times to ask if he wanted anything. <laughs> he said, he asked for an apple and she said they didn't have one, so he went back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that they still have the, they still have the cod piece. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. th- that's that's just you know classic comedy when they're uh, trying to when Mr. Vinefi is trying to explain to Carrot um, what the cut piece is for, and he just he just doesn't get it. It's it is it's very Python esque, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's very like uh, Blackadder. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine the Watch TV series doing Carrot justice, really. No. I do know which one he is on the promotional photos now. That's been interesting, looking back at the promotional photos and being like, oh, it's that character, which hasn't really happened very much, though. It's like some of them, because some of them you won't even meet in this book. Yeah. Uh, no. And even when you meet them, they're going to be probably very different from what you imagine them from the books. Uh, yeah, I guess like Carrot, just, they're just going to cast a tall actor. But yeah, they I can't. Have. I can't imagine the show to have to have the heart to pull it off. It's a struggle to m- write someone like Carrot, who is incredibly naive, uh, to it, like in a, in a sense. He's he's very trusting, and if they're going for the sort of cool thing, uh, I don't. I don't think it's gonna work. It's probably gonna be like funny when. He interacts with people or something. I don't know. I can't imagine what they would do with him. I'm concerned about about him staying at the board house and how that's going to go in the show. Uh, Uh If they put it in. If they put it in, which they they might not. not put it in. I don't know. Well, her name is Mrs. Palms because uh, her name's Rosie Palms. She's a seamstress. Yeah, she's a seamstress. Um, <laughs> she does. She does seamstressing. I don't know. I don't want it to be like weird cop show, like sex work stuff. Because mm. I don't know. That's just not how it's supposed to be, really. Hmm. 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 So, what else happens in these first hundred pages? Um, we meet Lord Vestinari. Ooh, yes. Like properly, him. he's definitely in the other books vaguely, but not. He's in a lot of them. Yeah, not to this degree though. Yeah, this is like, I I think, was this the first book that uh takes place almost entirely in Ankh Park? I I don't quite remember the timeline of the series. Uh, equal rights is largely in Ankh Park. Oh yeah, I think. yeah. But equal rights feels a bit like. I don't know. That's like before the um, this world we know really takes shape. It's what yeah. It's very early, early Discworld. 
Um, the thing is, I think with the watch books, it's not just set in Ankh-Morpork, but it's about Ankh-Morpork um, yeah. as a city, not just as a location where yeah. things happen. Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the watch books and then later the most funnily brick books, they're also going to yes. be like really yes. about Ankh-Morpork and the truth that's like, that doesn't belong to any series, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find this quote I oh, really liked about I... Benanari. It's... I had it marked and then I picked up my book and then the bookmark fell out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just this, it's like the whole section where it's talking about how he encouraged all the guilds to come out and operate um, in like public uh, just so that everybody could plan ahead and it will benefit everybody. And then it just goes into this like, thing where it's like I know who you are I know where you live I know what kind of horse you ride I know where your wife has her hair done I know where your lovely children how old are they now doesn't time fly I know where they play so you won't forget about what we agreed will you and he smiled and it's just oh like I I read that and my I got a a, a spine tingle <laughs> it's spooky <laughs> I think yeah. it's very clearly like one of Terry Pratchett's favorite characters to write this whole thing is like surveillance um, and secrets. So he always knows what's going on. Yeah. Well, mostly. Um, mostly he knows what's going on all around the city. The only times where he doesn't is normally the ones where Vimes has to solve something. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I like these. I like this little like character moment about Vetinari, like uh, about his. He's like a line about how it's always hard to fathom Lord Vetinari's idiosyncratic sense of humor. Uh, yeah, and there's like I, I'm trying to think of an example from this book, but there's no. I I think the the one that I always think of is I think in soul music uh, about how uh, he likes music, but he doesn't listen to it, and he doesn't think it should be performed. He just likes <laughs> to look at look at the notes. Oh. And I think that's like yeah. such a perfect encapsulation of what his character is. Oh yes, he just reads sheet music, yeah. doesn't he? Oh my god! Yeah. Also, <laughs> yeah, he just also, looks I enjoy the that he, he has mimes, or every mime that comes into the city, he has them instantly murdered. <laughs> yeah. They all yeah, end up in a mimes. scorpion pit. That's, that's the one crime you can't, uh, you can't unionize, or you can't, you know, regulate, because <laughs> yeah. he just hates mimes. There is a thing where it's like a lot of the time. There's normally like three or four conspiracies going on to try and depose him, but he's normally involved in yeah. most of them. <laughs> he normally started them. Yeah, he's like it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right if people weren't trying to plot against me. And we got and we got a scene in this where Vimes is talking to him, and it does have this whole thing of Vimes being unable to stop himself saying the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Vimes veterinary scenes are always great. Yeah, because I think. Veterinary does like him quite a lot. Yes, um, quite fond of him. <laughs> I think he understands that he's necessary. In this yeah. book, in this book, not so much. Yeah, it, uh, he becomes more inclined to sort of fund and support the watch. Yeah, because this starts with uh, him, like there's 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 a few mentions about how Vimes has always said the wrong thing, which is why he ended up getting the city watch. Yeah, and there's a there's a line that where Vimes, uh, well, I'm sorry, where Veterinary says, uh, or thinks, the narrator says that it's it's taken Veterinary a long time, a lot of effort to get the watch to the terrible state that it's in. 
yeah, so he's been actively sabotaging it yeah. pretty much since he set up the guilds. Yeah. Because it's he doesn't see it as relevant anymore. Yeah. Carrot arrests the thieves guild. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like... Yeah, that's what get, gets Vimes in trouble in front of Vatinari first, right? Like, before the actual plot kicks in. Yes. Yeah. Carrot had come... You don't ever see Carrot's conversation with Vimes because Carrot just mentions that he'd been to meet Vimes in a pub. Yeah. And Vimes yeah. was obviously, like, paralytically drunk. He, he doesn't remember it. He can't yeah. remember <laughs> even meeting yeah. him. So yeah. Carrot's this weird kind of agent of chaos. He He unwittingly starts a lot of the action yeah i do i do like everybody's reactions to him arresting the thieves guild i think it was like nobby saying oh you know next thing you know he's going to be arresting the assassins guild just for murdering people (laughs) (laughs) yes isn't someone saying why do you why do you arrest the the uh, the head of the thieves guild for stealing (laughs) 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 Uh. i'm like what Okay. Yeah, it's a uh, great. Like I found a scene. It's like Vimes and Wands, and uh, Wands tells him uh, about Carrot arresting someone from the Thieves Guild, and just Vimes just can't believe it for a second because he doesn't even remember that he took a new man in the uh, in the watch. Yeah, I've gone on to my. So before we started, I pulled up like um a study guide online. And um, it's only listed one theme. Okay. okay. What's the theme? Um, I want I want you guys to guess what the theme is. I don't think it's wrong. I just think it's funny that they've only put one. Um, society, law, law. Okay. Power. Okay. Yeah, you. Ba- I mean, yeah, you basically got it. The only theme they put is the desire for power. Okay. Ah, uh, that makes sense actually. That's kind of the theme. Yeah. Veterinary's a weird one because his desire for power is a desire to see the city work. He wants a functioning city yeah. rather than power for its own sake. Yeah. He's sort of weirdly principled in a very odd way. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's what that's what's appealing about the character, that he's not like yeah. he's not like your normal tyrant type in a in a book. Or in a fantasy book, he's not like mm. you can't you can't clearly put him put him down as the the evil um, leader of the city or the corrupt guy or whatever. No, Which I don't. Also yeah, like, like I don't think great. he is evil. Yeah, he's just. His own thing. I don't know. It's very, it's very hard to describe. Which I guess is what everybody says about him. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's described as having like a mind like a steel trap, and um, he sees the whole city as this big machine with a bunch of wheels that he just needs to make turn, and it sort of functions on its own with him just like adjusting things. And he sees himself as this big mechanic, just making everything work well. Yeah, I need to think more about it. But I sort of be interesting thinking about him in the context of sort of libertarianism. I get the feeling a lot of libertarians kind of think of themselves in this way or think of the ideology in this way like a sort of hands-off never actually turns out like that yeah and i don't think you could describe veterinary as a libertarian sort of weird decentralized power structure that he's built which is also 
but it's also controlled by him. I think he's like he's like a kind of guy who like enjoys numbers or like someone who enjoys making excel sheets just for just for doing it. Yeah. yeah. It's like what what the the way the book describes like no one's really sure what to make of him because unlike all the other lords like the most exciting thing he'll do in the evenings is play chess. Yeah. Like mostly he'll just read Against over himself, reports probably. Yeah. And he doesn't wear fancy clothes or he's not ostentatious or gluttonous or and he doesn't take pleasure in in cruelty. Yeah. There's that one where he doesn't like he, he doesn't like unnecessary cruelty but he's He's, he's all behind the idea of necessary cruelty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm a sucker for books with comedic footnotes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the footnotes. I, I, I've always been a big fan of, of footnotes. Like like the explanation of um, uh, detritus being the, uh, the splatter for the mended drum, yeah. which is like a bouncer, but trolls use more force. <laughs> 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 I think I'm just like going through the book. I think the last thing we need to talk about is when the plot starts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When does the plot really start? I Ooh. guess it's when the dragon appears. Yeah. That's what um, I would say. Yeah, because then you get the um, veterinary telling Vimes and the Watch to investigate it, kind of. I mean... Or at least Vimes makes up his mind to. So what do we... Lucy, what do you make of dragons so far? Like, of what we've got? Um, if it... I love the swamp dragons so much. I love them. <laughs> I, they shouldn't exist, but they're good. Oh, no, they shouldn't. But they, they, they have the same um, vibe to me, the way Sybil describes them. Because obviously they go around her house, she's breeding them for, like, rich people. They, they strike yeah. me as a sort of fantasy equivalent of when... Um, celebrities buy like micro pigs <laughs> and they think oh this is adorable I can hold this micro pig and take him around it and isn't it cute that I have this like little baby pig except now it's like two it's like a meter long it eats everything and it shits everywhere um, except the dragons also yeah. breathe fire <laughs> and explodes so when they slobber it's like caustic acid yeah. that burns through things <laughs> I really like them it's really cute the whole scene of just Vimes sitting down with Sybil and them having that conversation and she's got this massive wig on because the dragons keep burning her hair off I really like it yeah yeah. so basically like what happens is the elucidated brethren do their summoning thing uh, then one guy gets burned to death and then we have like this short scene of you know the death cameo I guess uh, which happens in every book and then yeah. uh, and then like <laughs> they're looking at later the, the watch are gonna like look at the burned wall and uh, and then Vimes goes to Sybil Ramkin's place and the only re- the only reason they that they even encounter the dragon is because they've been getting pissed after carrot beat up an entire pub. Yeah, <laughs> they get drunk and wander. Yeah, they, want, into they wander into the shades. Yeah, let's just stumble <laughs> headfirst <laughs> into the plot. Be murdered. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just I was going to make a joke about the death cameo, but I think it's maybe a bit off. <laughs> uh, go for it, Lucy. 
uh, death walked so Stanley could run. <laughs> then okay. I remembered Stanley was also dead now, and I thought, okay, let's go. More. Uh, uh, the comics guy. Yeah, he's always, in, he's always movies. in Marvel films. Yeah. yeah, yeah, except like these cameos oh, have see. a point. Like the the a one, the, the one or two death scene that is in every book have a point. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess death ran so Stanley could walk. So let's talk about Lady Sibyl then. Yeah. She's very thin and she's a badass vigilante. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. She's just this like. She's like a fantasy gentry lady who's combines a lot of like tropes about like English aristocracy um, in that she's like slony and she's um, she's big and she's posh and she like doesn't really have to care about stuff because she's so rich and like yeah we don't like the aristocracy over here but Sybil is the exception yeah there was this <laughs> but she's good there was this one she's bit good. about her that really got me in the sense of like British aristocracy like aristocrat poshness kind of thing where it's like she had the air of of somebody who assumed everybody she knew knew everybody else oh and like, yeah it's she, you know she'll like, talk oh, to people know, and be Helen like down the club literally um, and I, the thing is i know people yeah. like that <laughs> or have yeah. met people like that you you would know bonty johnson from whatever and it's it's just how posh people be yeah yeah Yes, and the, the the supreme self-confidence. Yeah. Well, it's like the assumption that the assumption that just you're doing the right thing and no one can question you. Yeah, yeah. I like how in this scene with uh, Sybil and Vimes, uh, Vimes is like immediately overwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, he he just he just doesn't know what to say all the time and is having a very hard time, like just keeping track of the types of dragons she talks about. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's, it's a class thing partly. Yeah. Yeah. Vimes is from a very poor background. He even mentions that he would have he want he, they wanted a puppy when he was a kid because they wanted to eat it. <laughs> um, also like the fact that they eventually do fall in love is it's, it's the fact that her, that her first words are to him. Could my good man, do you know anything about breeding? <laughs> <laughs> it's just incredibly funny. That's such a good uh, line. He, he finds her like this weird sexual threat through the entire book where he's like, yeah, incredibly like uncomfortable with her in general. And yet also has this class thing where he like feels the urge to like salute all the time. <laughs> Um, is he uncomfortable he's because like, he's horny what's the what's the thing like does he have uh is he like attracted to her immediately or what is going on i um it's like because terry pratchett famously hates writing romance and isn't very good at it specific well like he's not good at writing romance stories exactly they tend to be fairly matter of fact when he does write yeah them. which um, i like yeah I think with this, it's it is that Vimes is he's like intimidated by her in most ways. Yeah, and the way she the way she talks, I don't know. It's complicated. Um, because I think she's she's, I she's like, attracted. Yeah, to him really. Like from the, the whole time, from the fact <laughs> that he doesn't write 
romance stories exactly comes like just because of that the ones he like when when they actually happen it's always like interesting because you don't quite yeah. exactly can pin down at which point it happens well because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't write characters mostly who are like i mean maybe with carrot but he doesn't write characters who are like incredibly attractive and then find each other incredibly attractive because oh, yeah. they're all like these perfect there's very people. few attractive char- like clearly yeah they're all like very they're very normal they're all very normal and often very like broken which is Um, why the tv show is gonna be great i would say like out of all the books i read from the like start of the series the attractive characters actually haven't really been involved in many of the relationships like i think the the one that's bringing to mind it's probably just because i read it last is like pyramids where there's the incredibly attractive concubine and he's like kind of into her oh, yeah. but they don't get on very well and then he finds out that they're siblings and she's still like come on you're gonna be king let's be together and he's like no i'm good <laughs> yeah <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like i'm not okay with this yeah. um, I, think, I think like in weird sisters also like the central romances yeah because it's like, with the people f- who aren't conventionally attractive in any way yeah. magrat yeah magrat and the fool who's meant to be like super gangly and Varens, yeah. yeah. Yeah, normally one or both of them are like a bit wet, and <laughs> I think the men are normally super unattractive. Yeah. Which is very funny. I was thinking of, um, is, who's the one in Light Fantastic? It's the. Um, Two Flower, Rincewind. Is it Kanina? Is that in Light Fantastic? Oh, Kanina! No, not she's not in the Light Fantastic, but she's in the other Rincewind book. She's in Sorcery, I think. I could be wrong. Oh, that's it. I don't remember. No, yeah. Yeah, and she, like, she's with that guy who's, like, super not good at fighting and, like, a bit weak, but she's, like, into him. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think again, I think Sybil is attracted to Vimes partly because she is a bit lonely and also because he's, like, a captain and she thinks it's kind of romantic because she's a bit, like, mm, yeah. girly and she yeah, likes sort of novels. Yeah, she's uh, she likes reading romance novels and isn't she's not she's not very worldly. She's very she's not exactly a shut in, but she's no she's mostly just concerns herself with breeding dragons and hanging out with other breeding dragon breeders and posh people. Yeah, yeah. It was it's more like I think there's a bit later on in the book where you see her bedroom and it's described as like the bedroom of someone who's resigned themselves to never having a romantic relationship. Oh. <laughs> Um, so that's sort of how I see her character as someone who kind of likes the idea of romance but's given up on it and has sort of moved on with their life. So I think her thing with Vimes is just it's very good and it's very funny. And I think he is kind of attracted to her, but is also just very scared of her attraction to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh and then I think like the last scene we have this week is is a, a, a quote-unquote conversation between Carrot and the librarian. Yeah. Yes. The communication. <laughs> I like how it's not like in movie cliche that is like in Star Wars, for example, where every time Chewbacca says something, everyone immediately understands it. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just like not it's the, the case language the rather than a rah. He just does charades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good 
I really like the librarian. I think the librarian's been in all of the books as well, actually. Not all of them, but he's in a I've, lot I've, of them. The ones I've read, I think he's been in all of them. Yeah. I don't think all of them have a scene in Ankh-Morpork, but all of them that do probably have have him in him. Yeah, mo- most Ankh-Morpork ones have the librarian in it. Mm. Um because he's around. Um, yeah, because his, his whole thing is that his book's been stolen, which to a librarian is like the worst sin. Worse than murder. Could possibly, yeah, that could possibly happen, which is what he's communicating to Carrot, which is that there's been a, a horrible crime, uh, which is book thievery. Which is obviously, I think it's mentioned, it's the basically the dragon summoning book that's been stolen. Yeah. yeah. I think these shades things are always very funny because they're like... Uh, they really get into playing a game of charades now and like they forget that they're actually there's actually a dragon crime happening so he doesn't guess the word like he still doesn't guess the word dragons it's very true to charades yeah (laughs) never guess the obvious things um i think we can like wrap up the, the plot part is there any character we uh, that happened or like any standout moments that that you still want to talk about i mean i i love vimes a lot and there's this whole thing about him obviously he's an alcoholic but as soon as this mystery happens and he suddenly has the urge to investigate a mystery which he's sort of given yeah. up on but now this thing's happened and he's like it can't happen in my city not in my city where i am in front of me oh i love that yeah because um, ankh Morpork is a shitty city yeah, he's but, like, she's a woman, you see. Yeah. I'm Wolfog, she's a big woman. Um, <laughs> Kicks you in the teeth. I love it when he says that when he's drunk and Colon starts having uncomfortable thoughts about Vimes' sexuality, which I think is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Does Vimes want to sleep with the city of Ankh-Morpog? He likes big women. Um, yeah. But I, I like, <laughs> I, like I, I can very much relate to the sentiment of this is a, this is a bad city, but it's mine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's a natural detective. Uh, it, it's like his purpose, almost, is is to try and prevent damage yeah. to the city and its people. Is that very noir thing of being like connected to the city as well? That like Raymond Chandler, ah, oh, the city felt like this tonight. Um, like in Disco Elysium, where he's like, here's the thoughts of the city. Yeah. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. I think and it then... works because uh, because it's a funny book. So like, yeah, mm. these these noirish things are gonna. I don't know. They fit. They complement each other with the more comedy scenes uh, very well. I think, in that it doesn't come over as yeah. corny or anything. Yeah. No, I, I really like the serious bits and this and the other ones. Yeah. yeah. In, with the watch, I think it sort of it does strike this very difficult note, but it does it well. Yes, it's a difficult balancing act to not have everything either be always silly and therefore have no stakes yeah and i i can i can think of very few others who do it as well mm. the tonal the tonal shifts are hard to pull off but he does it yeah it's almost i think it's because a lot of the events are very comedic but he takes the characters themselves seriously as people yeah yeah they matter and yeah, and they can do they can say stupid stuff or do stupid stuff but they themselves as people are never like dismissed outright as being meaningless or like yeah not important. I'm gonna say the H word again, humanism. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was in 
<laughs> in the episode that we actually released or in the one oh. that... It was a bit towards the end, I think. Because okay. then yeah, we were just like, hang on, I have to talk about humanism <laughs> for a second. Uh, <laughs> they respect people. I was going to mention when you talked about <laughs> you know. his alcoholism that there, there was a, a line that I just stumbled upon as I was like skimming through what else to talk about. And it was like when he had his talk with, I think, Vatinari. And his, one of his thoughts was uh, he hasn't drinked his breakfast yet, which is oof. Yeah. yeah. The bottles that drink themselves. Yeah. It's he, sad. I want to see him do well. I want to see him prosper. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Lucy? What he, do you think is going to happen in this book? Um, yeah, Lucy. Okay. Um... Well, I want to know who the king's going to be, because that's like, if it works even, I don't really know. I don't know if we've read enough yet where I can kind of get a handle on what is going to happen. Maybe I'm not thinking hard enough about it. I think they're going to summon a dragon. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have very many, like ideas. I mean, the plots are always pretty hard to predict, I'd say. They're not stuff where you can easily see where they're gonna go. I don't don't think that Inari's involved all that much, which is probably just... I could be so wrong. I could, you know, the next time we come back to to, to record an episode after, like, another hundred or whatever pages, I could be saying, okay, I was so wrong about that, but I think... I don't know. I'm trying to think of like who'd have like motives and stuff, but I can't think of anything yet. So I will. I will come back. By involved, Lucy, do you think? As in, you don't think he's responsible for the dragon, or do you think he won't be involved in the plot that much? I don't think he's involved in the dragon. I think there's more people involved in the dragon, but right. I don't know who. <laughs> well, we'll have to see you next time. <laughs> find Spoilers next to week. find out next time. <laughs> Just have to tune in. Um, any closing thoughts? I think I think I we looked, have an episode. I looked I looked at the picture of carrot uh, from the, okay. the, the Twitter okay. posts, and this is incredibly irrelevant and and nitpicky, but he's his chainmail shirt is really dumb it opens at the front that's like the worst place to put an opening for a chainmail why would it have an opening you just put it over your head he's gonna get stabbed in the chest because he's got a it's armor it's supposed to protect you Ah! the costumes are gonna be another armor i think the costumes are very bad (laughs) and it's a sexy jacket he's got like a uh he's got chad jawline (laughs) <laughs> yeah. A little bomber jacket with chainmail underneath it for some reason, which is well, it's, open at the front. It's like in cop shows where every single cop is wearing like two jackets and flannel <laughs> and Layers. a shirt. You got to be layered. Yeah. Yeah. George, did you watch uh, BBC Merlin? Never. Because <laughs> there was a Percival on that always has sleeveless chainmail, so he's always got like um, sleeveless chainmail. <laughs> It's because he's yeah. got massive arms, and I want to see them. He's um he's the guy who plays Dickon in Game of Thrones. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, yes. Um, yeah, he, that guy. He's in uh, Black Sails as well, and he has the most enormous arms in yeah, that. Yeah. He's, he's just like mostly arms. Yeah. Although he's I like big. that guy. He's I a good like act. him. He would have been a pretty good carrot, I think. 
He's a bit old for him now, but yeah, he'd make yeah. a pretty good. Yeah, he'd character. be pretty good. I mean, the the guy who plays him is too old, anyways. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you just don't know any young actors, so it's hard to like say people would be good. <laughs> I want KJ Appa as Garrett. <laughs> yeah, that was my thought too. He's probably not tall enough. Who? He isn't tall enough. He won't even have to. They could get him some stilts. I like the idea of him just constantly having his hair dyed ginger. Yeah. <laughs> he can never get away from it. That's his hair colour now. <laughs> Bra- uh, in the show, it's ginger. I think his hair is brown. Yeah. With Captain Carrot, is Carrot his first name or yes. his last name? I think it's, it's his, his first name. His first name. Yeah, because he's like... Does he have a last name? Well, he's I'm like Fanson. dwarf royalty. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. that makes, that makes sense. sense. It's all something sort of silly, silly, fake Scandinavian surnames. Well, he's a he's a dwarf. Because I, I was like, so who named him Carrot? Was he named Carrot by the dwarves because his hair is ginger? They well, they say oh. they say it's because he was really broad shouldered. I think it's because he tapers uh, like a carrot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he works twelve hour days pulling minecarts up and has lots of fresh mountain air. He's a bit himboy, isn't he? Yeah, kind of. He does start off as a himbo. He's he's not dumb though. That's true. He's naive but not dumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trying to think if there's any good himbos in the series. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, well, one of the werewolves in Fifth Elephant is a bit of a himbo, but like an evil himbo. Oh, yeah, no, he's deaf. He's like an evil himbo. Is he yeah. called Wolfgang? Wolfgang. Yeah, Wolfgang. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think, but I my memories are so vague at this point. <laughs> Uh, that I don't, I I'm gonna I'm gonna remember these characters when we meet them again, but I just can't right now. Detritus could... is a troll himbo. <laughs> troll bow. <laughs> I was gonna say I I could make Twitter mad by saying two flower was a himbo, and then I get eight million replies saying he's skinny. <laughs> <laughs> he's not himbo material. He's a skinny king. I don't think I don't think Terry Pratchett enjoys himbos very much. He doesn't. He likes scrawny men. He's not interested in sexy people. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is very valid. It's nice. He to likes see. sexy women. <laughs> he likes there to be incredibly strong, attractive women around occasionally, but he likes scrawny men who are like weak and disempowered mostly. <laughs> I enjoy I enjoy that like one of Vimes' first thoughts about. Um, about uh, Sybil is just the, the sort of cartoon Brunhilde Valkyrie from Wagner. Yeah, that's. I think yeah. it's a good shorthand to to show what he was going, like what Precious was going for with her. Yeah, yeah. Shows what she's like. Not. She's got the she's got the blood of generals. So she, if she says like what ho old chapel, good show, then everyone feels like bucked up tremendously. <laughs> Jolly, jolly hockey sticks and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, lo- I I really enjoy that she calls someone a, na- a lovely girl. Lovely girl. Lovely gal. Lovely gal. <laughs> lovely gal. Yeah, yeah. rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know okay. Minty? Okay. Okay. So yeah. to sum up, good, 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 good book. book. It's a good book. <laughs> Not as good as Jordan mm-hmm. Peterson's classic Twelve Rules for Life. <laughs> Okay. This, this yeah, is my stance. I, I, I need I need like some some clear helpful life advice. 
right now. Move, move to a horrible pseudo medieval fantasy city uh-huh. and become a cop. Yeah. That's rule one. Uh, rule two is be incredibly racist at all times. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is probably the point where you end the episode because I'll just ramble. Yeah, I, I think I've come up with a sign off. I'm just gonna uh, type it into the Discord. Bjorn's throwing in the arms your uncle. Bjorn's throwing the arms your uncle. uncle. <laughs> Staring out through ancient eyes.